shatter the stigma, mend the mind. Welcome to the live broadcast of Talk Revolution, hosted by Dr. Paul Sambataro, neurocognitive scientist, author, and retired school psychologist. Good evening, everyone. Welcome again to Talk Revolution. This is our 12th anniversary broadcast on BBS Radio. We are here today to discuss current topics with a new perspective based on cognitive function. To keep the fires of innovation, pioneering, and our shared culture of giving burning for future generations. The orientation of these discussions is to bring to light the importance of underlying foundation to solving our most social problems such as disability challenges, poverty, violence, and crime. Today's podcast episode is focused on the cognitive academic assessments with cognitive functioning, implications for the IQ testing, and qualifications for special education and the emotional budget program. This is a call-in podcast. We're live today. You may at any time feel free to call in with any questions you may have in regard to cognitive function in our program, emotional budgeting. Please call toll-free 888-627-6008. And I would like to take a moment to thank all of those who, per- who have participated and provided help to those in need during difficult times, in particular, our producers who have suffered and overcome the devastation of Campfire, including Paradise, the home of what was BBS Radio in Paradise. This is what I've always thought of as what makes America great, is the pioneering spirit of moving forward and helping neighbors in need. Thank you, and happy holidays for all who are participating in the continuing celebration of of holidays around the world. Today, for our podcast discussion, we will explore the cognitive functioning, the assessment, as indicated, and the qualifications for special education. I would like to begin our program with the clarification of the history of cognitive assessments being used. As originally used in eugenic and marginalization overtones for populations that may not fit certain institutional expectations. I feel this is an important part of understanding the continuation of questions and promises of assessment testing, especially in our school system or wherever they may be, as it is important to understand both the promises and the limitations and the potential for its abuse. IQ tests, what is known as cognitive assessment, as well as academic assessment, have wielded a great deal of power on society over the last 120 years. In the 1900s, eugenicists used the test to judge people for sterilization. As early as 1900, this was a way for their assessing what sort of people they felt was useful in society. More recently, IQ has helped inmates avoid corporal punishment or in education 
additional help as such as qualifying for special education. However, the debate over the merits of, of IQ continues for these reasons. IQ tests and testing times, as I mentioned, in 1900, dozens of intelligence tests were developed in Europe and America, claiming to offer the unbiased way to measure a person's cognitive ability. The first of these tests was developed by French psychologist Alfred Binet. He was commissioned by the French government to identify students who would face the most difficulty in school. And that must sound familiar for those who have had to or requested for attention or additional help for their own children in special education. The resulting 1905 Binet Simone scale became the basis for modern IQ testing. Ironically, Binet actually thought the IQ tests were inadequate measures for intelligence, pointing to the test's inability to properly measure creativity or emotional intelligence. And I think later on we can see why this has been potentially an issue that continues on today. The U.S. Navy, at its conception, the IQ test provided a relatively quick and simple way to identify and sort individuals based on intelligence. In the U.S. and elsewhere, institutions such as the military and police used IQ tests to screen potential applicants. Ironically, some districts in the U.S. have recently employed a maximum IQ score for admission into the police force for fear that those who score too highly would eventually find the work boring and leave. Alongside the widespread use of IQ tests was the argument that the level of a person's intelligence was influenced by their biology. Ethnocentric and eugenicists who viewed intelligence and other social behaviors as being determined by biology and race latched on to the IQ test. Why these are understanding the history as we go along, as we catch up on quickly on some of the historical uses. Gain an understanding of why the IQ continues to potentially be a bias to a student's ability and potential. So it's helpful and as promising as the qualification for a student to get help in special education, it can also be a potential stick in limiting a student's stigma. It can be stigmatized as a reason for limiting a student's potential. A few years ago, an American psychologist and education teacher, research Lewis Terman, had drawn connections between intellectual ability and race in 1916. High grade and borderline deficiency is what he, he wrote, is very, very common among Spanish, Indian, Mexican families of the Southwest and also Negroes. This was written in 1916. And I can promise you, 
from my own conversations with teachers today. But this stigma continues in the school system as I have observed. And that is why I feel it is important to begin at the beginning. Their dullness, it continues to write, their dullness seems to be racial, at least inherent in the family stock from which they come. Children of this group should be segregated into separate classes. They cannot master abstraction, but they can often be made into efficient workers. From a eugenic point of view, they constitute a grave problem because of their unusually prolific breeding. This was written in 1916. There has been considerable work from both hard and social scientists refuting these arguments. Critiques such as hereditarian hypothesis, arguments that genetics can powerfully explain human character traits and even human social and political problems cite a lack of evidence and weak statistical analysis. This critique continues today, with many researchers resistant to an alarm by research that is still conducted on race and IQ. And this is the potential harm and as well as we will see the potential good from these assessments. We would like to make sure that we understand that an instrument of an assessment can be wielded in the hands for statistical use, either for good or as a means of identification and stereotyping. In the darkest moments, IQ tests became a powerful way to exclude and control marginalized communities. Using empirical and scientific language, supporters of eugenic ideologies in the 1900s used IQ tests to identify idiots and imbeciles, the feeble-minded. As a result of history that we may have forgotten or not known much about, many American citizens were later sterilized in 1927 an infamous ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court, legalized, legalized by the U.S. Supreme Court forced sterilization of citizens with developmental disabilities. Compulsory sterilization in the U.S. on the basis of IQ, criminality, or sexual deviance continued formally into the mid-1970s. So as little as 1970s, we were continuing this ideal. It wasn't until 2015 the U.S. Senate voted to compensate living victims of government-sponsored sterilization programs. In DePaul Law Review, 2008, protecting a moral national moral consensus. The article describes how certain groups during World War II uh, found promise in the assessment, the IQ, of safely, for their point of view, classifying people into such groups. And it's from here that we try to spring forward from. We do not spring forward from a place of no foundation of ideas. We spring forward from a place of misuse to a place of promise. 
So moving from a place of identification of classification, we have moved and implication of how we consider race, abilities, and ultimately determination. Further reading and personal uh, from World War II, a book entitled War Against the Week was written by an award-winning investigator journalist named Edwin Black, whose mother lived in Nazi-ruled Poland. Using an investigative style which went to the book's authenticity, Black writes with fervor of someone for who the facts are personal. Connecting the most horrific Nazi crimes to pseudo-scientific movement in the U.S. called eugenics. And that is just to identify from the continuing foundation from which wide segments of institutions and research had begun to use the ability to assess in ways that were to attribute to self-governing behaviors or to justification of governing behaviors. In an article written, Intellectual Ability, we're moving on to the definition of what intellectual ability and assessment should be. Definitions of intellectual assessment and intelligence testing refers to the evaluation of an individual's general intellectual functioning and cognitive ability. Intellectual functioning intelligence tests provides at least one measure of general intellectual functioning and are usually administered by clinical psychologists in community settings and by school psychologists in schools. General intellectual functioning typically refers to one's global or overall level of intelligence, often referred to as IQ intelligence scores. Higher IQ scores are assumed to mean that the individual has a higher intellectual functioning. Unfortunately, this single score indicates general functioning. It does not necessarily explain why a given student does not know how to read, even though he or she is in the fifth grade, or if the student has some special skills in an area, such as art, music, and learning a foreign language. More importantly, because the global score cannot tell us what specific area the child has difficulty or talent, not useful for drawing conclusions about how this child learns or should be taught. Performance on a single measure of intellectual ability might be useful as a starting point in efforts to understand a student's skills and needs when used in combination with other sources of information, including measuring measures of cognitive ability. This is a very important point from which the springboard we now move forward from our path to our promises. And the issues that come from 
moving forward is, as it defines here, a single measure. So there is a combination of tests. There are usually a minimum of 10 in school assessments. There may be a battery in the clinical setting by a clinical psychologist. And it may or may not include uh, a wide variety of assessments. It is important to note that the use of a single score as an identification simply will be used as a tool to classify children from best to worst by some norm. And this norm is the norm of those who are best in the middle. And as we get to the outer curve, we did discuss the bell curve of which the IQ test is predominantly lays its foundation on. Uh, in our one of our first podcasts, how vital this bell curve is, where we, as our adaptation, are within our peer group. Cognitive abilities. Psychologists have tried to gather information about specific abilities that explain children's learning learning problems. And here we again we focus on the promises of this. But how, doing so, we will continue to further identify those problems of moving forward from the biases of single issue, single scores versus the understanding of the multitude of assessments that combine to make that single score. Focusing on cognitive abilities rather than general intelligence. Cognitive abilities are those skills that make up an individual's general intelligence. So we have many different abilities and combination that gives the IQ the general intelligence. Although past theories focus on intelligence as a single global ability, modern theories view intelligence as composed of many different abilities. And just as a moment of interruption here to go back to our previous podcast, we have discussed several different sorts of possible uh, disorders such as autism, bipolar, ADHD. And in these, the influence and the, and the cognitive abilities and understanding those individual scores are very important to not only identifying with those, but also identifying the strength. Many autistic persons, child, individual, have very strong strength in several areas, but also find themselves with very weak abilities and many times related to emotional development that may or may not be included in success. And is understanding the drive of the assessment to understand how the person thinks, how the brain architecture is working. And from there, very supportive understanding the individual's behavior. 
Development issues, maturation, and school experience impact the stability of test scores. So on a day that child feels more vulnerable and more or feeling better on the day will impact his ability to test on some or all of those cognitive assessments. Utility of tests predict important outcomes. Further, due to the nature of child development, tests for younger children will often address different skills than tests for adolescents and adults. The stability of intelligence test results the belief that one's intelligence stable across lifespan has been strongly held for many years. But if there are all the assessments, there is an important assessment that adaptive behavior assessments that identify development of emotional maturation. So in those, functionality is key to these assessments and those change over time, or if they're not, help to identify functional issues that are also related to the cognitive ability. Parents and even professionals often question why and how intelligence test results seem to vary from one time to another. Again, there are several reasons why test results change. What is measured by one intelligence test is not always the same as what is measured by another. Some tests minimize the amount of language needed to understand or complete the task. In contrast, other tests may require a great deal of verbal comprehension or respond. In other words, the difference between tests, while they tried to find and they've been worked to look through the norm, there are differences between tests. Some use more auditory tools, such as listening to derive abilities, and others will simply can be used with very little auditory. And those can make uh, identify a very important distinction in processing. But the outcome often leads to a much lower IQ score, which is very misleading because the identification of a single or some portion of a difficulty can usually lower the overall score, which will impact qualification and special education. And we'll get to that in a minute uh, at the closer to the end of the program. So it is very important that not only does the tester understand what the impact is, but the explanation of how that's impacting the overall score and what is the importance of that overall score. So we both have an institutional expectation and regulation that assumes that an overall IQ score is a meaningful point of which to make a determination, which again goes back to the very beginning of our foundation. It is a reinforcement of a stigma and a bias that that single moment, that single IQ score, which is used to identify a special education qualification, is now can be wielded as a tool of difficulty or a level of confidence 
for that child. And we will read in this letter uh, portion today that it's actually indicating that, which may or may not be the case. That there lies the challenge of our promised land of assessment versus where we have come from in our history of utilizing assessment and wielding it as a justification for how we treat others and value them as individuals. Prediction intelligence tests are often assumed to measure potential or predict future performance or even adult outcomes. Again, this is the single point of IQ that becomes a promise or a problem. The fact that such tests often include information that is typically learned through experience and school contradicts the belief that IQ is an immutable static measure of one's potential. In certain academic areas, the best predictions of achievement in subjects such as mathematics or reading are made by using cognitive ability assessments rather than by relying on global scores or general intelligence tests. Cognitive ability assessments allow measurement of specific skills known to relate to certain subjects. As children enter adolescence, they begin to develop and redefine and refine their fluid reasoning or abstract thinking abilities, which they apply to learning more complex concepts. Abilities known as crystallized intelligence. Again, we're getting into the specifics of an assessment of many, which includes vocabulary and other skills heavily influenced by daily linguistic and cultural experiences, continue to grow well into adulthood. Some abilities develop precisely and others more abstractly, such as formal schooling, while some skills such as speed of problem solving or use of visual or spatial information tend to develop largely independent of schooling or other general life experiences, which is why we have two generally in school. You have an academic assessment and you have a cognitive, which is considered independent of scholastic, but not always the case as they use many of the performances are based on previous scholastic education, such as verbal comprehension and reading and uh, understanding vocabulary. Due to these developmental factors, tasks on tests of intellectual and cognitive ability will vary for younger versus older students. And here we're going to start we're going to begin to transfer what is happening now in special education, how parents, strategies for parents can provide support in a variety of ways to allow maximum growth of both academic and non-academic skills. Support reading, homework activities, enhance academic growth. These are all important in practicing to enhance cognitive growth. And you can see immediately the difference between those who may have an early start in academics and reinforcement and those who may not and how that ultimately does impact the IQ score. It does not necessarily pertain to intelligence. That is the promise. An environment that has many books, magazines, newspapers, along with access to computers and internet 
provides practice to help children improve in reading skills and knowledge, and again, impacts the overall cognitive ability. Strategies for teachers suggested should understand that the type and quality of instruction can greatly influence student learning and the development of their cognitive ability. This is where we begin our entry into special education because it is at this point that either the parent or the teacher has made a referral for a student who they believe is having difficulty learning in their classroom. And it is at this point that there are different levels of special education. And if there is not a clear understanding of cognitive assessment, along with medical, other knowledgeable uh, professionals who have assessed this young individual, clearly the person can be be understood either when they're getting help, but also can be identified as a problem. And in many cases, I have observed and been referred to students who were identified as having cognitive difficulties with the little regard to understanding the medical impact of their situation or uh, future or other issues and have been identified by teachers as being, uh, I cannot put it in any other terms than has been told to me, but as retarded or simply just without ability. Is very, it can be very disparaging when an assessment or a conclusion has been drawn based on their frustration of not understanding why and how it may really be deflecting in many regards with their behavior difficulties such as to be ADHD, could be sensory, it could be a whole host, and behaviors from students generally tend to deflect in their own minds because no one has explained to them what the, their issues are. So eligibility for special education, we're moving on to understanding how the IQ testing impacts the eligibility and qualifications. So in general, how your student qualifies for special education services? Services. Usually they must meet across, in general, most states have identified with some differences, but because of the federal mandate and regulation, most states are closely aligned with similar statutes identifying how a child is identified and qualified for special education. The student must have a disability or disabilities. It must, the student's disability must adversely affect educational performance. So regardless of a disability, it must impact their educational performance. 
So this is very important because there's a confusion between having a disability and the impact of that disability on academic performance. These students' unique needs cannot be addressed through education, general education classes alone. In other words, there are instances where you may not qualify for special education, but you can qualify for accommodation. And that is not the same thing because the classes are not modified. The instruction is not modified. Simply the accommodation to learn is modified. And that is not the same as eligibility for special education. So how do test scores impact? First, let's just begin with what kind of test we mentioned briefly at the beginning. A cognitive assessment provides information about a student's intellectual strengths and weaknesses, though that may or may not be applied by anyone. It could be by if they're qualified, it may be important uh, or not in their uh, perspective. Their overall cognitive potential, the test gives general information about the student's abilities compared to others who are aged in several areas. The tests are intended to be a predictor of how well and in what ways a child will learn information. So this is important, modifying classroom instruction. Remember, the other factors must always be considered. A high IQ does not guarantee success, just as a low IQ does not guarantee their failure. But again, we have coming from a foundation of bias of the overall singular statutory use of a single IQ test to identify who qualifies, why they're qualified. This becomes important and is very difficult to move away. Some of the commonly used cognitive assessments you may hear are the WIS or that's the Weschler Intelligence Scale for Children. There's the Differential Ability Scale. There's Woodcock-Johnson Cognitive, as well as Academic, and Stanford-Binet Intelligence Scale. These are just most common when assessing in school and often in clinical for the common understanding of cognitive. The cognitive assessment will have an overall IQ score. The score will be considered valid only if testing conditions were adequate, and there is minimal variability in scores among the various scales on the assessment. When there is a significant matter scattered in the different areas, the overall score will not be representative of the child's overall potential. So they're looking for uh, differences between the IQ scores and what that possibly implicates. And this gets into interpretation. And unfortunately, there is often not as much in the school psychology program about interpreting differences of different scores and what that means. And there is a very large science behind understanding what that is related to and what they have found to be associated. So some differences are associated with autistic diagnosis, others with ADHD, and uh, they have great programs to do that with, but that is what can lead to the promises 
of helping the parent and the student understand the challenges they may have with why some of their weaknesses, instead of deflecting behaviors by looking around, looking around, deciding that something is difficult and therefore the behaviors follow that are distracting or deflecting away from a problem that they don't clearly understand and nor do their parents have the answers. And this can be lead to helpful understanding of those issues and the support. Ultimately, understanding what needs to be, how to support that child for, their, for the issues that they struggle with. Speed on the width for, as an example, will indicate a person's ability to quickly and accurately process simple visual information. And I, I digress. Uh, in addition to the IQ score, the cognitive assessment will measure various processing areas. For example, uh, verbal ability, nonverbal ability, processing speed, and working memory. And the score in each area will indicate ability in various areas measured. And that is what we were indicating previously on what the overall score uh, would indicate. Percentile rankings correlated with a person's performance base level based on the norms created from the standardized sample. So in other words, it's a sample from many, 1,000, 1,500 students, and of those across the country, uh, that is the standard of which the norm, how a child compares to that belt. So grouping in the middle is the greatest number, and those who do really well be on smaller edge of the curve front, those who perform uh, not as well will be on the back side of that bell curve. Scores are typically described in standard scores. You have an average of 100. Anything within 10 points from 100 is considered average. So your child, this is the error of using only 1,500 students as a norm. So scores from 90 to 110 are considered average. Just outside of that range is the low average, 80 to 89. So 100 is what most students can expect to end up having. And if you're below most students, your peer group, your low average range would be 80 to 89, and the high average, 110 to 119, gives you a range of error. So within that, there is a margin of error. Students perform in either of these ranges are slightly different from the norm, which is in the bell curve. Students performing in either of these ranges are slightly different from the norm. And again, high average scores suggest somewhat stronger cognitive abilities. A person with low average scores may struggle. The borderline range they have given is 70 to 79. However, however, they often will not qualify for special education services. The reason being, and not all states do this, some states do not, at the clinical diagnostic uh, for DSM has taken out the number of which one compares for learning disability, the difference between an academic score and a cognitive score. 
And that is the reason why this becomes such problematic for students and their parents. If a state utilizes the criterion score that is based on the difference between an academic score and a cognitive score, because if there is no difference, so the difference is below 15 point spread, then they assume, they assume that is they, the education and the regulations assume that that student does not have the potential and therefore additional education will not provide for that student. A special education will not increase his ability to complete or increase his educational ability. This can be a difficulty because a student who may have a very low, uh, has done very low at 70 or 73, is above the intellectual disability criteria of which 70 and below. And if their academic is low, then there's not enough difference. They are likely to be denied many states denied special education. This seems counterintuitive. And indeed, when you're in the classroom, when you're within the education system, it is counterintuitive because you know this poor young student is struggling. And you may have reasons to understand the weaknesses. So even though they have strength, they could have a strength, very strong strength in verbal comprehension, but auditory, depending on the test and assessment, they could have a very low, very great difficulty in processing auditory, which impacted their academic ability. And so there's no difference, but they could have a severe processing issue, auditory processing issue, but that wouldn't make any difference in their qualifications. And the nightmare continues even though this may be a very bright young student and struggling with a very specific issue, which several autistic, many autistic students could and do have this issue where they have uh, auditory process issues that impact their ability. And they could be not knowing they have autism, not knowing understand what the impact is and even if they did still not qualify or get that help that could easily provide the support for them to be as do well as their peers and this is promise this is the broken promise this is the issue that may or may not develop the promise again is that it, it does identify the student does identify their weaknesses. There is a qualification. They move forward with supporting special education teachers, modify their instruction, and are able to provide support for that student to move forward. But it takes a triad. It takes medical, it takes education, and it takes the assessment to understand them in part from the parents and the students to support that individual 
In summary, the scores on the cognitive assessment are actually intended to be a comparison to the general public. As each of the scales are performed in various processes in the area, third, look at the individual tasks within the scale. So for the teacher, again, it does three things. The summary of them intended to be a comparison to the general public, a determine if there is a valid estimate of the individual's ability, and thirdly, uh, at the individual task within the scale, so the difference within their abilities. But I have taken this from one of the uh, articles. And again, with the challenge of bias IQ application within the educational system. So one of the articles relating to actually says, what does it mean to be struggling learner or a slow learner? A slow learner is not a diagnostic category. This term people use to describe a student who has the ability to learn necessary academic skills but at a rate and depth below average some age peers. So already We've identified this person as a slow learner. Needs more time, more repetition, more resources, but it doesn't help anybody understand why. And I have run into this time and time again. Special education teachers asking, why, what, what does this mean? And so when they can't help the students, because they don't understand what is the actual root cause of their issues, they're pegged to slow learners, and off they go to a slow class with slower teaching, with slower, which may benefit an individual who is struggling, but does not necessarily support the issues of their weaknesses. And again, it goes on to say, what are some of the challenges educationally for struggling or slow learning? Again. This is an article writing to teachers, giving them advice, and pegging this whole advice as a bias of slow learning. So already we have categorized, we have moved an inch from our foundational issues of how originally the IQ was used. Because now, the students, the means the most have the IQ, intellectual disability, falling below uh, a criteria, or it can be used as a criteria for an intellectual disability that's below 70. But in reality, it can be used on anybody. And what does that actually mean? That's it's not explained. It leads to stereotyping and stigma and everything we do not to impart on how to help these students move forward. Special education services are provided for students who have a disability, slow learners. Again, this is writing to slow learners because uh, they need extra support. That's good. However, the abilities are too slow to be considered for a low learning disability. So here we go. Here's the identification. Instead of learning disability, it's below 70. So now it's an intellectual disability, but we have no idea. And and there it goes. The cycle is on. And the understanding of 
the individual assessment is what I've noticed has been lacking. The identification of what it means because there is no time and there is no regulation or support unless there is a curiosity and a willingness and determination of the special ed teachers and the administration to support the understanding of that. I've found that to be somewhat lacking uh, within the system that I have participated. Although I have been encouraged as well by some administrations and dissuaded by others. So it is case by case situation of which I only relate that this is a possibility and how it may be viewed or not taken into account. So finding out finding out that you uh, how a child qualifies again is a lot of youth uh, medical determination diagnosis very helpful you do not uh, but again the testing has always been used to identify if there is an academic need especially the academic portion of it used for good at the same time there are ongoing efforts to demonstrate how the IQ test can be used to help those in various communities who have been most harmed in the past so for those in prison uh, they've been used to help provide information um, it's been used in programs uh, as a means that black and Hispanic students who have often been overlooked again it's a tool for positive but also as a detriment how should the IQ test be ideally used it is my preference it is my society problem solving resolving our budget, academic outcomes. All students should have an IEP, an independent educational plan, is what you receive if when one becomes qualified for special education. But everyone should have an IEP, an independent education plan. And in order to implement an IEP, cognitive assessment should be assessed for all students in the capacity of support. That is moving forward. So all children should have a cognitive assessment to identify weaknesses and strengths and not their standing within society with each other. That is what we have come from. To go to, to understand, because now we are looking at every child getting support for their weaknesses so that the potential of every child is possible, regardless of their brilliance or their needs. Does this allow for potential abuse for exclusion and marginalization? It does. Populations are competitive, are motivated by the exploitation of resources in any environment. With the advent of muscle budget curriculum for every student, the IEP all of a sudden becomes possible as well as vital to have every student reach their full potential. As of now, my general observation, having sat in a class and looked at general abilities, that only 25 to 35% of the students are able or can meet the institutional expectation in their age group with the curriculum teaching methods currently used. 25 to 35%, that's what I see. That's what I observe and that's what I uh, nationally. The rest are either, and this is a bell curve, 
The rest are either not paying attention because they are bored, or the group is not paying attention because of the distraction of their sensory perception. Either way, we're basically teaching only 20 to 35% of our group, and the IQ test is a rationalization of why they should, why this is uh, okay. The disabilities are not necessary. Caught unless they are severe. Myo cases of autism, ADHD, bipolar are usually not diagnosed unless there's maladaptive behaviors left for administrators to discipline ourselves and the school system as a put students who do not go to school in juvenile detention system for truancy. So we have both expelling and then those who don't go, we put into juvenile detention. The emotional budget program addresses a large portion of those, these potential distractions. So how do we solve this? We solve it by everyone having cognitive assessment for their weaknesses. We have an IEP for everyone, and this can be accomplished through what we call robotic programs. And the emotional budget program addresses this because it addresses emotional issues and it allows for the cognitive maturation of the young mind to build that structure that allows for the growth and opportunity of the brain to focus on what is the learning issue. So rather than focusing on emotional by having the emotional budget program in place and practice, it allows for students, and this has been used, and it's been tested, and it's been successful in allowing the students to move forward with less distraction of their emotional chaos, the emotional development issues because it provides the structure, provides the brain, and it lowers the anxiety that allowing for the students to learn faster, learn more in a calmer manner. Our next podcast will lead a discussion of cognitive functioning in the prison system, specifically the juvenile detention system, and as well, how the emotional budgeting program can work to solve those issues. Consultations are available through my website, www.emotionalbudgeting.com, for parents and caregivers, individuals, and educators. Copies of the book are available digitally on Kindle and in paperback on Amazon.com. Again, I would like to thank our producers. Our producers, Don and Doug Newsom, and our audience, welcome back to the Brain Revolution. Until next time, this is Dr. Paul Sumbataro.